I just noticed uh, in the most recent episode that I edited that we're a little quiet, so I had to boost yeah, us we were pretty quiet. So I was like, oh, I have to. This is a critique I have. Probably a, <laughs> a critique of my editing. No, this mean? is a critique I have when I preach, is that when I get super serious about things, my voice drops and I mm. and I talk super quickly. Yeah. So like people like will very often not be able to hear me when I preach because I'm just go like mm. my dad specifically complains about that. He's like, <laughs> you trail off so much. Yeah. Stop that. <laughs> uh. I'm just kidding. My dad is in like full support and he tells me he's proud of me. He's really a good really. guy. Yeah. He's chill. I love my dad. I'm it's <laughs> I don't mean this as an insult, but it's nice when I meet boomers that i actually like <laughs> like you know who aren't the absolute worst that's always very refreshing so yeah dude my dad oh my gosh are you ready are I you ready i can't Joseph? even say enough good about my dad yeah i'm ready you want to do this let's do it oh, i need my do cow joke stare longingly into your eyes okay joseph hey jordan hey man how's it going how you doing today do you know where a sick cow would go to get medicine? No. Where would a sick cow go to get medicine? A pharmacy. I talk good. Oh, Jordan knows a single theological term. Watch out, everybody. Reading is such an essential skill to life. How, how is anyone bad at it? Yeah, I'm pumped. Do I sound pumped? I will play devil's advocate. Yeah. You're not Jesus or Paul. Lay your philosophy uh, on Destroy me, me with your facts and logic. We disagree on just about every, like, secondary major aspect of Christianity. Hey, welcome to the Sacred Cow Podcast. <laughs> A farm-macy? A farm-macy. Farm-macy. That's a good one. Uh, have I mentioned on the podcast that people keep sending me jokes now? I really appreciate that. Maybe I'll give them credit for them someday. But that day is not today. You know who you are. Yeah, just steal them. Who cares? Yeah. You guys don't need credit. I didn't see a, a copyright. You're fine. Uh, please don't sue me. <laughs> <laughs> sue you for the cow joke. That they sue me for the three-second cow joke that they sent me definitely to use on the podcast. <laughs> I would love to see a... a judge's reaction to <laughs> presiding <laughs> over a, a trial <laughs> suing over a cow joke it's hilarious okay uh what are we talking about today jordan today dear viewer uh we're talking about something that i'm very passionate about and that's very uh near and dear to my heart like everything we talk about really but uh specifically uh this is probably my most controversial theological opinion i think in my eyes i know some people think pentecostalism is super controversial it's really not to me at all but um we were talking about uh egalitarianism and specifically women in ministry um and i know that everybody has very broad and sweeping and different definitions for all those things so we will talk about it uh as always and i will tell you exactly what i mean when i say those things but uh, you know what's funny about that is yeah. we were hanging out last week, as we do, because mm-hmm. uh, I like spending time with you when we're not just talking about yeah. stuff. Did you guys know that Joe and I are actually <laughs> friends? Like in real life. In real life. Like we, we hang out hang outside out. of this podcast. <laughs> Everybody probably already knew that. But if you, if you uh, don't know us, that might be interesting. Yeah. But So we were hanging out and we were with a few other people and uh, 
we tongue in i was like they asked like what we were talking about this week when we record and i like said oh women in ministry and he just like looked at me and he's like i don't get what the big deal with women in ministry is he was like making fun of me for saying like women in ministry instead of like Really, when we say, like, women in ministry, we're talking about women in a specific type of ministry. Yeah. It's like nobody's really excluding women from doing ministry. It's just, like, this area of ministry. So he was, like, making yeah. fun of me for that. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Pretty, pretty hilarious. Um, was there... You said you mentioned that you wanted to talk about stuff yeah, in the preamble so, before I got into it. There were two things. Um, so our canonization... Um, episode just aired and it was super funny because we did that episode. and now you guys know how far ahead we're recording these <laughs> things because you're going to be like it just aired well, that was like four months ago we did something like that <laughs> the last episode or a couple episodes ago where you were like hey we started airing our episode i was oh, like oh yeah, yeah. yeah but uh so that episode <laughs> aired and wouldn't you know it like since we recorded that episode which i won't date when we actually recorded it but because I honestly don't remember. Yeah. Uh, but since we've done that, like our, our church started a couple of classes. Um, and one of the classes that I had to do was on a, was on Canon, which was like super cool. And I, I got to go and do a bunch of like focused research on it. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I got one date specifically really wrong. Mm. And that was the date of when the Jews had their like Canon formalized, which I put it like, I don't know, 40 or, or 50 BC, but they had it formalized like, at least by 250 BC, because that's when the Septuagint was translated, roughly. Yeah, like at the absolute latest. At the absolute latest, it was formalized by this date because it was starting to be translated around that time. So it was probably even earlier than that. Yeah. So I just wanted to correct myself uh, with that because I was listening to it and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. Isn't that the worst? That's what I was like when I said that uh, Shepherd of Hermes was in the apocrypha oh, yeah. i was like you idiot we kind of messed that you one up dummy. all over the place didn't we i wish you had it's caught hard. me man there's a lot there's so much you need to talk about and remember when you talk about stuff like that church history is not like either of our fortes really yeah. so and it's like so much remembering dates and when stuff happened and oh yeah and to be honest when you say a date it's really a date period yeah. Like it was probably close to like this is when we think roughly this happened because we start seeing evidence of it around this time. But yeah, uh, there was a second thing I wanted to say if we got time. Yeah. Uh, so I w- did want to give like a shout out to our pastor because he preached a really good sermon this morning. Um, and it was super convicting to me, actually, to be le- perfectly honest. Where, yeah. And he was talking about. Uh, how we treat animals and it was i didn't expect this on a sunday morning but yeah. it was like out of proverbs and he was talking about how we're supposed to like treat animals mm-hmm. uh and how it's like sort of this indicator of uh your priorities because behavior equals communication so if like you're abusing or like harmful to animals in some way like uh that's probably it's not good because we're called for you know dominion and stewardship and that doesn't mean abuse yeah um but i was thinking about our conversation uh, and I think you said something in that podcast where you said something to the effect of like, I'm going to butcher it. I'm sorry. Um, but and now I have to remember it. I had it like in my head. You're fine, man. Cut this out. Cut out me sitting here staring pause, into the, pause, the blackness. Pause. You said something to the effect of that, like, how you treat animals and how you view animals is like indicative of like 
you as a person. Mm-hmm. And oh, you were talking about your cats, and you were you were talking about how you thought they added something to your family and your life and your mm-hmm. home. And I just thought in the moment that that was like the most asinine thing. Like yeah. I didn't have any experience for yeah. that. And then I was listening to our pastor preach today, and uh, yeah. I've changed my mind on that. Like, yeah. I agree. Like, actually, Kiara, my wife, we were, like, going home, and she was like, do we need to get a dog for our son so that he knows how to, like, steward God's creation better? <laughs> and that would, that's never, like, happen. That would yeah. never happen in a million years. So I'm starting to sort of change. I'm not ready to say animals have souls. Yeah, that's um, fine, man. But I'm, I've definitely changed my perspective on that a lot. Yeah. So, Dude, I'm telling you, cats are pretty easy. And they're pretty dope. So yeah, I don't know, man. Become a big cat person. That's awesome, man. Good for you. I just wanted I'm to glad. share that because like perspectives yeah. change on things, and I'm not above like being like, oh dang, like that was really meaningful experience through listening to the sermon, and I think it was very scriptural, scripturally sound, mm-hmm. and I agree with that. Like, I'm acknowledging that they should probably have a bigger place in my theological head canon than they mm-hmm. do. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, good man. I just love animals. So. <laughs> I, I love. Yeah, I don't other care people. about all that hokey Bible stuff. Just <laughs> animals. I love other people loving animals. So, dang, good anyway. stuff. Um, I think that. Uh, I was looking at the audio lines. I think your, I, I think my uh, headphones cut out there for half a second, but I'm sure it'll be fine. But if you notice some like wonky audio there for like two seconds, then sorry. I don't know. I'm not re-recording it. So we're not going back and doing it over. We're not going back. Just a fair warning. This is probably going to be a little bit longer of an episode. Yeah. I don't know that for sure, but uh, if it's long enough, we can always split it into two. But um, I think there is so much to cover on this conversation, and I already had to cut out like half of what I wanted to say because I'm just like it's way too much to to include. So I kind of took the opposite approach. I was like, I'm just writing out the things that I'd like to talk about. Yeah. And, and you'll we'll hit get, whatever we'll we get hit. there when we get there. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there's some things where I was like, okay, I know we need to talk about these things. And there's some things that I want to clarify about my position. Yeah. But I was like, I just, well, if we do two episodes, we do two episodes. I don't think anybody will complain about that. And yeah. you can't really, well, you can complain in the comments, yeah. but we're, <laughs> we're already going to have com- department. <laughs> We're already going to have done it. Please send it to our complaints department. Nobody has emailed the sacred cows pod email yet. I think we, I I think all the episodes where we mentioned the email have not aired yet. So, Oh, is that? Yeah. I think we only mentioned it in like episode. Since like we've actually been live. Yeah, pretty much. That makes sense. We should put it in like the comments or something or the the (laughs) description or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. So uh, we're talking about women in ministry. And specifically, for me, this conversation centers around women in pastoral and leadership roles within churches. And I know everybody has like different things that they are okay with. So we can we can address a lot of the nuance there. I also was thinking about it the other day. Or it, it was in the canon episode, the one that just came out. And we say nuance like 50 trillion times. And I'm like, oh, it, it, it gets on my nerves so bad. So I'm going to try and not say that 50 billion times. But um, 
we are we are going to try and be pretty comprehensive in this conversation. So okay. if we say something and you're like, well, that's not how I understand it. Hold your horses. <laughs> Just wait for half a second, please. Um, but I wanted to start about, I wanted to talk about why this is important. And it's important to me, uh, A, because uh, I have a wife whom I love very much. Uh, and I don't personally think not that she wants to but if she was like hey i want to be a pastor i don't think there's anything that bars her from being a pastor mm -hmm. um i also grew up in an a, a egalitarian denomination so i'm kind of biased towards it um and yeah i've seen i've personally experienced a lot of female pastors who profoundly impacted me and affected my faith in a very real way mm -hmm. so um do you have an example of that that you could give like specific, I don't know how personal you want to get with it, but um, it might be helpful. A very specific example. Um, I've heard, I guess this isn't like too, too personal, but I have heard uh, specifically, I can remember a couple of sermons that I've heard that were preached by a woman um, that just like super super wrecked me and caused me to like rethink something very serious about my life mm -hmm. you know um so yeah i guess it's just like it's more cumulative for me over my lifetime than like an ultra like this one specific moment but um i did want to talk about because some i've heard people who uh i i guess i'll just say i've heard people talk about this and they're like oh well who really cares mm-hmm here's why I want to really drive home that this conversation matters no matter which side you fall on uh, because it significantly impacts half, if not more than half of the church, like pretty severely. Um, so I wanted to, uh, my friend sent me this quote by Craig Blomberg um, and he is a complementarian theologian, uh, but he says this, he said, tacitly or uh, talking about first corinthians he said tacitly approves one key role for women spirit-filled preaching which the contemporary church neglects to its detriment inappropriately squelching the gifts of of numbers of women and often damaging them psychologically in the process by telling them unbiblical things about what they can't or shouldn't do once you have decided as best as you can understand it what scripture does permit women to do can any reasonably objective observer of your church and your ministry quickly recognize that you are bending over backwards to encourage and nurture women in these roles? If not, then you can't possibly be obeying scripture adequately. Um, and that's a really good quote, because I think no matter which side of this debate you come down on, you have to you should put your money where your mouth is, because it's a pretty significant issue. I just so, like the like the psychological harm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just letting that sit in my head for a minute cuz like that was pretty aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, like and we're going to talk about the broad range of complementarianism a little bit. I our church currently that we both attend is theologically complementarian. Mm -hmm. I I'm I'm complementarian as well. So, yeah. I mean, that it's called, we, we argue on this podcast. Um, yeah. 
just so you know, going into this conversation, which I also say a lot, apparently, <laughs> just so you know, going into this conversation, like we, we're coming at this from two, argue a lot. two different convictions. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So I think that's why it's important. You should really know what you believe about this specific thing, especially because uh, a lot of people compare uh, egalitarianism or women holding pastoral roles as like theological liberalism, like the descent of the church theologically that like nothing matters and and like it's very associated with like liberal christianity in my experience yeah which i think is a shame as an egalitarian but in doing my research i can say that that's kind of accurate across the board i'm not going to say that i necessarily disagree with that Mm -hmm. to be honest but yeah again we can we can add some nuance to it i do want to say though that i agree with the point that you're trying to make like Anytime where you claim, uh, you, you put this wacky word in front of things that you say, biblically speaking, like these mm-hmm. wacky two words, like anytime you say biblically speaking, you're appealing to the authority of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so you should know and have a conviction about what you're saying if you're going to appeal to a biblical authority and perspective. Um, so if you don't have an opinion on it, don't, don't claim yeah. authority. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to say, or you want me to just like? Yeah, I I guess I don't understand how you cannot have an opinion about this thing. To yeah. be honest, because if you're in any sort of like leadership role in your church, this comes up all the time. Yeah. Like I think, um, like I'm in a form of ministry, right? Mm-hmm. And I've not been doing it very long—a couple of years—and uh it's come up at least five times in a couple of years where somebody's come into our church and asked like what we believe around these things. And we, you know, do the classic, like, this is what we believe. Like we're not going to require that like you believe the way we believe for you to worship here. Yeah. But like this well, is hopefully cause I attend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> but you're not the only one who attends our church who, who, who has an egalitarian stance. Mm-hmm. I actually had a conversation with somebody at our church a, a couple of weeks ago where it was, they were like, well, you know, this was my main problem when we were talking about like membership and that kind of thing is that we have, she's like, I'm not going to make like a big deal out of it, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's correct. Yeah. And I think that that's the right mindset to have. If you find a church that disagrees with that um, and you still feel like comfortable there in every way and you're not, looking to like be involved in you know those areas of ministry if you're you know a woman mm-hmm. then you should have that mindset of like i'm not gonna like disagree with the authority that i'm placing myself under yeah absolutely i i'm a big believer that christians should be heavily discerning when they pick a church yeah. and that you should like absolutely follow your convictions to the best of your ability and um focus on unity in the things you can but if you have a large theological issue with a church that is like very seriously impacting you then don't go there but once you decide to attend a church you need to submit yourself under the authority of that church and like it doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything they say 100 percent, but it also means that you don't try to like theologically usurp like our pastor yeah, uh, cause division yeah our our uh we were i was joking around when we first started meeting with um 
our pastor and he said something along the lines because because i was talking about how i'm pentecostal he was like well as long as you're not gonna like stage a coup (laughs) like (laughs) i'm like no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try and turn the church pentecostal just because i'm pentecostal so i mean that's like the thing right yeah like you don't want to cause division in the church yeah and i'm like i chose to come here so i'm choosing to submit myself to the position of the church even if i disagree with it so i'm not gonna like yeah cause division or i think that um a ruckus what a good word dude (laughs) (laughs) ruckus i love that word uh i think that you have to have a hierarchy in your mind when you go someplace about like what's actually important and what what like you can get by on yeah but i have a lot of respect for you i don't think i could go to an egalitarian church yeah um a church that believed that so i think that you have to have a mindset going in when you're looking for a church of like these are the things that i'm okay with Mm-hmm. and like these are the things that i'm not okay with and you yeah. have to decide that before you start looking for a church and i know that's super difficult and hard um but luckily the american church has a church on every corner that believes something different <laughs> yeah in the protestant world so you can go someplace where you're comfortable uh and submit yourself to that authority mm-hmm. so yeah. there's a there, oh. as long as yeah. you're focused on jesus yeah yeah and scripture orthodox christian belief yeah yeah um, which is we can use as a segue because some people would call egalitarianism heretical yeah which i'm used to because i don't i don't remember we haven't done like an episode on pentecostalism i don't think but there's a very vocal minority of christians who think that i'm going to hell because i'm a pentecostal so yeah. it's nothing i'm not used <laughs> separate to separate <laughs> from egalitarian dude yeah. i don't even think that egalitarianism is like unique to pentecostalism no because there's there are large denom like evangelical denominations like mm-hmm. we have we our church is an EFCA church and they split from a different denomination a different evangelical denomination called the Covenant Church right now mm-hmm. and the only like quantifiable difference in our doctrine is whether or not women can be in ministry or not yeah so yeah didn't um what church was it was it Saddleback that just got kicked out of the uh, the Baptist, yeah, Southern Baptist Convention yeah, for ordaining a woman. I think it was. Okay, I think it was Saddleback, right? Yeah, is that, is that Warren's church? Yeah, Rick Warren. Yeah, I I don't know if they got kicked out, but I remember seeing a video recently of him passionately appealing that. Yeah, I think they got like full on right removed. He got from, passionately rebuked, yeah. whether or not it was <laughs> yeah. a valid rebuking or not. But yeah. I think so. it was funny because his main like critique was like, you let the Calvinists into this denomination. Why can't you let the egalitarians? <laughs> I was like, dang, dude, come on. <laughs> I was like, you just sound salty. Surely there's a better way to appeal. And to be honest with you, like I haven't heard like many. I've read egalitarian positions written, mm-hmm. but I've never heard anybody like give me a good we can use this as a segue, like a good understanding based off of scripture of how it's okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully I don't, uh, I don't think I'm going to convince you of egalitarianism on this podcast, but hopefully 
I have at least an intelligent enough position where you can be like, I understand that even if I disagree with it, like I, I get where you're coming from, which is really my goal whenever we talk about anything, Joe, Honestly, is like, dude, yeah. I just want you to think I'm not an idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I don't think you're an idiot. First of all, I think you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, I and, do. And I'm very encouraged by Some might say more than you. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. That's a joke. That was a joke. Spirit filled. That was a joke. Oh my gosh. I have a funny I'm Pentecostal kidding. story. Yeah. Have I told this on the podcast before? Can I, I tell know. a story real yeah, quick? Yeah, dude, go for it. I don't want to. This is gonna already going to go long and probably be two episodes. Yeah, that's why I'm not worried about it. Okay, <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> so we were we were uh, in a Pentecostal church and me and my our pastor, mm-hmm. where we were hanging out and we were doing, we were using their like, we were just there. I don't want to out who it, what, what was yeah. happening. Um, but I, I just never, I haven't been in very many Pentecostal churches mm-hmm. and we were doing like, the Pentecostal uh, pastor of that church was talking about baptism and he kept saying water baptism mm-hmm. and he was like very specific of water baptism. Yeah. And that was like not something I was used to at all. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there being like, why in the world does he keep emphasizing water baptism? And I like leaned over to our pastor and I was like, why does he keep doing that? And he's like, dude, this is a Pentecostal church. I was like, oh, baptism in the spirit holy spirit baptism yes sir that's not a thing in oh my circles well i mean like baptism of the holy spirit is but it happens when you get saved right yeah so Mm -hmm. i will um i have not felt super out of place as a pentecostal in our church yet however today uh during the second half of worship they played that one song and i was like nobody's clapping and this is very much a clapping song oh, so that was the lives? first time i felt yeah that was Dude. the first time i felt out of place because i'm like uh any other church that i've been to would be like having a great time right now can i just and tell you it was just like standing there i was like listening to that on the way over here i was like yeah. that is such a good worship song yeah like there's so much like scripture packed into that song mm-hmm. i was like oh yeah that's a jam <laughs> i like that so I thought about just like starting to clap loudly from the balcony, but uh, you could have. Some people like, would. Yeah, I think I that there's a lot of people who will do that, dude, but they don't want to be the first person to do that because we clap before. It's yeah. weird that we don't do that since you've been here. Mm-hmm. Like our church does clap. There yeah. are people who raise their hands. Like that's the thing that does happen. Mm-hmm. And it just it's just weird. Not when I'm here. <laughs> here, it's just weird to me that it hasn't <laughs> happened since you've been here. Oh man. Yeah. Okay, we should we should get into it. All right, dude. Because otherwise, this is gonna take forever. All right. So, I want to uh, actually. I, I think we should talk a little bit more about what we mean by these terms because I want to be specific yeah. with what I mean when I say I believe this thing. And so I can talk about egalitarianism if you want to hit on complementarianism sure. after. So what I mean when I say I am egalitarian is that I don't think there is any official position in the church that is barred from women on basis of their sex. So I think that women can hold the position of pastor. I think women can hold the position of elder. However, your church is set up in whatever way. Deacons. I don't, yeah, deacons. I think we women can be deacons or deaconesses, technically. Um, so I don't think women are discriminated against uh, in any way in that manner. That's what I mean when I say egalitarianism. There's also like a lot of people wrap relationships up into this. Yep. Like, are you a relational a huge egalitarian? Part of the, huge and, part of the conversation. Um, I am 
I I am also a relational egalitarian. I don't have like I didn't plan on talking about that portion because I'm much more greatly concerned about uh, the church leadership aspect of it. But um, we can talk about that a little bit off the hip if I, you want to. But that's what I believe when I, I don't say think I'm an egalitarian. Can, I don't think you can separate them a ton. Like uh, in my mind, they're, they're they're like bunched up a little bit at least because like the reason that we don't allow this is based off of how we interpret the relationship between genders and sexes. And that's what yeah. I think, at least for me. I don't know if that's across the board. Maybe it isn't, but like that's like men, the roles of a man and woman. Yeah. I'll, I'll say I am relationally egalitarian. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, but maybe because I know you have a lot more verses than I do. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about um, like male headship in a household. And I think, uh, relational complementarians just grossly misunderstand a lot of those verses a lot of the time. But, I agree. Um, we so, actually talked but, about that before we started the podcast. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but uh, but my my main focus is on uh, ministry and uh, specifically, uh, I think the the verse the passage that challenges me the most, like if any passage in the Bible is going to make me a complementarian, it's going to be first Timothy two. Um, so I'm going to talk about that a lot, but if you want right. to talk about complementarianism, uh, so I, I don't know. I don't have your fancy dancy, you know, words, <laughs> uh, but nice word, funny <laughs> words, magic, magic man. man. Yeah. Uh, I am a church structure and a, relational complementarian and what i mean when i say that is i think that man and woman were created to uh well first of all they were created equal in every way in god's eyes but they were created different in order that they might complement each other to accomplish what god had given them to do um so we we it's not a status it's not a question of status I'm not saying that a man is higher than a woman or a woman is higher than a man. I'm saying that their roles are different. And I think they're defined and talked about a little bit differently. I know they're defined and talked about it differently in scripture. I'm not trying to be a douche about it. Um, but I think that I'm not going to say scripture is clear because I don't think that that's a fair assessment going into this conversation. Um, but I do think, like you said a few minutes ago, there's a lot of verses that talk about relational like complementarianism. And I do think genuinely a lot of those passages, which will, we may or may not get to, uh, are grossly misinterpreted um, and out of their context, especially. And we were having a conversation about this. The goal of systematic theology is to take scripture and back up theological belief. And to do that, you have to eisegete scripture. Mm -hmm. And that's when, for those who yeah, don't please. know eisegesis. So you have exegesis, which is, um, pulling theology out of scripture properly it's the process of like scripture says this what is the theology that i'm pulling from that eisegesis is the opposite where you have a belief and you kind of like superimpose that into scripture right like scripture says this thing because i believe this thing so scripture has to agree with me so eisegesis is a um a big exegetical fallacy. It's right. a big no-no. It's something people should not do. And I want to clarify, I don't mean that the goal of systematic theology is to have a systematic understanding of theological belief and have it ordered. So we can have that 
without doing eisegesis, but I do think that a lot of the times scripture is pulled out of its context and we do violence to it because we don't read it in its appropriate context. Yeah. Well, even like, that's the hard thing about systematic theology because once you, even if you avoid eisegesis for like 80% of the system you're creating, once you have 80% of the system, you're like, okay, well, everything obviously has to agree with what I already have. Mm -hmm. Like I can't go back and contradict myself now. So this text has to say this. You have to make it work together. Right. Um, I do want to distinguish one thing before we move on. Yeah. Uh, I do not have, I was doing my research, you know, and I've thought about this before. I do not have a traditionally complementarian view on every single scripture that we're going to talk about today. Mm. So I don't think that I'm necessarily the be all end all for what a complementarian should or shouldn't be. But I do think there's starting to become this divide within complementarianism. And you can talk about the spectrum that you see a little bit. But I think there's this divide between what we would call like complementarianism and patriarchy. And I think that because there's a huge swath of like more reformed denominations that are starting to say, well, well we're not even complementarian now. We're, we're patriarchal, meaning that all authority and everything is given to the husband and the woman is put in a subservient role. Um, and so she has a, you know, a com- like a complement to his role, but it's more service oriented. Like what are the things that she can do um, for him? And mm-hmm. so, and how, what does his authority look like over her, her and all this stuff? And I just want to say like straight off the bat, I am not into the patriarchy, like theologically speaking whatsoever yeah. in, in like relational mm-hmm. complementarianism. And so I might articulate some of these things that differently than like the, how do we say it? The, the celebrity no theologians and stuff like that, which is not meant to be a negative term terminology at all. Um, it is for me a bit. <laughs> the yeah. only celebrity in Christianity is Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, so do you want to add some nuance to that? <laughs> you said the word. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to add um, your perspective to that? I will just add that. Yeah. I think there's, um, there's a pretty wide range in complementarianism. Um, and I will, I will give this anecdotally that I have, um, you have the range of like, yeah, we just think that women should not occupy this specific role. And then you have other complementarians, like I mentioned um, John Piper before the podcast started. And I know you hate when I call people out, but uh, John Piper has stated that he doesn't even think women scripturally should be allowed to teach or be like professors at a university, even like secularly, not even within Mm -hmm. a church, just like women can't be teachers at all, period. It should only be men. Um, and I think that's pretty far what you would define as patriarchy. I think that's like pretty far towards patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Beth and I have even like, we visited a church one time where the lead pastor would not talk to her or address her yeah. and like kind of pretended that uh, she have wasn't Have we said there. that Beth is your wife? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. Uh, so they they considered themselves complementarian, but then also like you, I know that you don't view Beth as a lesser being than you view me or anything, and yeah. you're you're complementarian. So there's a pretty wide range there um, of beliefs, and even how people act, because you can say you believe the same thing, but like to me, belief is all about putting your money where your mouth is, and yeah. like you know, I 100 percent. And we talked about this before. Again, I don't like, and I do not care for 
the titles that we talk about this stuff because I don't think that I have a traditionally like uh, explained complementarian stance and the egalitarian stance that you have told me personally isn't the one that I read. Mm. Um, so I want to just know this going into it <laughs> that there is what you, I mean, what you said, a spectrum of belief um, around these issues and I have huge problems with some of the ways that complementarians interpret certain passages in scripture. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that we don't land in a similar place. I'm just like, I don't, I do not have time for the mindset where your wife is like to serve you and submit to you in absolutely every single area of your life. Like that's just asinine to me. Yeah, but we're talking. That's more like on the relational side, so we can jump mm -hmm. back towards uh, ministry. Yeah, let's do it. I'm um, so I'm gonna. Joe hates it when I do this, but I am gonna approach this from a Wesleyan quadrilateral perspective because that's how I form most of my theology, if not all of my theology. Um, so I'm gonna hit scripture as the biggest one because I think scripture is the biggest issue uh, in this debate because we can talk about like tradition and experience and reason all we want but i think scripture is the biggest sticking point amen so mostly on scripture i am going to talk about tradition because i think that's important framing for the sure. conversation um, and then i'm going to hit reason and experience very very briefly but for me and i think i mentioned this uh the biggest passage for me that challenges me as an egalitarian is first timothy 2 specifically 11 through 15 and i'll read it off here uh it says starting in verse 11 a woman should learn in quietness and full submission i do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man she must be quiet for adam was formed first then eve and adam was not the one deceived it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Are you going to go off or can I? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you add on. I just want to say this. A lot of this verse is very cut and dry for a lot of people. And I've heard a lot of complementarians be like, how can you possibly read this verse and then think that women can? Yeah, this is the gotcha verse. This is the gotcha verse. Yeah. Um, I have a huge problem with uh, that notion or that interpretation, um, and that is because I fully believe in my heart and in my being that we are all interpreting this text heavily, and if you don't think that you are as a complementarian, I don't know if the listener is a complementarian or not, but if you yeah, as don't a complementarian... We don't know about the theological background of any of our listeners yeah. aside from the people that we know. So, If you're a complementarian and you have thought that, excuse me i'm gonna ask you three questions dang uh ask me three questions yeah joe i'll ask you three <laughs> questions um if you theoretically say oh i don't have to interpret this verse at all i'm reading it plainly yeah if you say that theoretically not okay. that you're actually saying that but assume you're saying that i'll ask you three questions are women allowed to make any noise at all in your church <laughs> are women allowed to lead worship at your church yeah do you think that women obtain salvation of their souls through childbearing? Mm -hmm. If you answer any of those, yes or no, depending on the question, 
uh, you are interpreting the passage mm-hmm. just as much as I am because most complementarian, no complementarian I know would uh, say any of those things. Like I don't know a single yeah. church where women are not allowed to speak. So you're in, you're interpreting the verse. I don't know of a single church that's not a cult where women aren't allowed to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, I mean, just like right off the bat, you you read this this is a passage that you, if you're coming to this passage blank, you have questions. Yeah. Like about like, yet she will be saved through childbearing. Yeah, like, that's what weird. What does that mean? Like that's, that's not a weird. straightforward like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Look, uh, I'm going to jump back a little bit to verse eight, mm-hmm. if you have it. I desire that in every place the men should pray. That's super straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. Done. Lifting holy hands without ang- anger or quarreling. Okay pray but make sure you don't argue and you're not angry about it likewise also that on and on and on women should be modest and self-control continued like that's pretty straightforward right Mm -hmm. like maybe we have to unpack what each one of those things means in our life but like those are straightforward statements and then you get to like yet she will be saved through childbearing and you're like paul yeah paul (laughs) what the heck we're saved through christ paul (laughs) What does that mean? Like, there's and, a, there's an interpretive framework you have to run that through. Yeah, That's all I'm absolutely. To say. And um, so I don't leave you guys in suspense. I have what I think is a very good interpretation of what that means, and I will get to that because I think that uh, that's an important verse to understand what Paul is trying to talk about here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a difficult passage for everybody, I think, and so I just want. Uh, people to have enough humility in this conversation to be like, yeah, this is kind of a hard passage to interpret and it may seem obvious, but it's not actually that obvious what Paul is trying to say here. So you want me to just get into it? What I think this passage is talking about and some of the, some of the exegetical issues. Yeah. I have a, like a, what do I want to say? I have a sneaking suspicion that you and I are going to, uh, which excites me, mm-hmm. like you and I are going to interpret verse 15 the same way. Yeah? Yeah. But I want to hear. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think in context, um, and I don't know if you've heard of this before or not. I might have mentioned it before, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it. But um, I think that in First Timothy 2, Paul's addressing a very specific issue in this church that is brought on by something called the cult of Artemis that is um, super popular in Ephesus at this time. Which, if you didn't know, First Timothy is written to Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus. Correct, yeah. So the cult of Artemis is, uh, as it says, this cult uh, focused on the worship of Artemis, who is a Greek goddess. Um, and this cult was very matriarchal in nature, meaning that the women were placed heavily above the men. In fact, men had very little like rights or... Um, things that they could do in this cult um, because Artemis is the uh, goddess of the hunt and of virginity and of young maidens. So women to Artemis, women are like kind of this protected, elevated class. And so they took this as meaning that women kind of ruled over men and it was a super prominent cult in, in Ephesus at the time. And I think the context clues were given here 
uh, it's pretty safe to assume that there were likely women who were part of this cult of Artemis and then who converted to Christianity and became part of the church in Ephesus. And I think there is some issues there as those converted women are learning how to be in this church community. And I think that's what First Timothy 2 is largely addressing, is this uh, cult. And um, the... It's interesting that you brought up verses like 8 through 10, because as far as I know, like I've never read a scholar who has disagreed with this, but as far as I know, the scholarly consensus is when um, in verse 9, when it talks about how women should dress modestly and not adorn themselves, that is probably talking about the cult of Artemis because it was very common for women to um, flaunt their wealth or their decadency and uh, dress up in very gaudy clothing and tons of jewelry as part of this cult worship and so that it's likely what paul is addressing in those verses um, because they are probably trying to worship in the christian church in the same way that they are worshiping in this cult which i'll be fair which where else do we see that that like well not specifically that but you see stuff like that in first corinthians when you're mm-hmm. talking about, we talked about that in our first episode, the temple prostitutes episode, yeah. where we're talking about cult temple prostitutes and sort of pagan worship influencing how you worship when you when you're in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not without that is not outside the realm of possibility in my mind. Yeah, and so um, I think this also explains the childbearing line because it oh. was popular for okay. this cult to pray to Artemis for protection during childbirth so that they wouldn't die because obviously giving birth was very very dangerous in that day and time and lots of women died and so i think what paul is saying when he says you'll be saved through childbearing is he's not referring to salvation he's referring to like yahweh will physically protect you as much as artemis like you don't any longer need to pray to artemis god will protect you better than she does through childbearing i think that's what he's addressing um and I could be wrong about that, but let's just play devil's advocate, or my position. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit me. Uh, why would he not specifically say that if that were not the case? I think you're really fond of arguments through silence. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, if it's that I mean, big, if it is that big of a deal, yeah, that that needs to be addressed directly. Why does he not specifically say that that's what he is addressing? Well, I think he is in a way. I think this is the problem with cultural and context studies sure. is that most of these passages to the people that they were first spoken to would have been obvious. It would have been so obvious what he was talking about and what he was addressing um, that you don't even need to like title it or say, this is what I'm going to talk to you about now. And again, I could like, I could be wrong. This is just... This is just the work of my personal study in exegesis and other scholars that I've read. But we do know there are a couple of facts. We know for a fact that the cult of Artemis was super prominent in Ephesus at this time. Uh, That makes it seem very, very, very likely that there are at least some people in the church who were converts from this cult. And we know a lot of the worship practices of this cult pretty well match what Paul is addressing. 
to me, that seems to to lead me to inductively believe that he is probably talking about the cult of Artemis in this passage. And again, I have humility because um, I am not a Bible scholar. Like this is not this is not my field of focus. So I could be completely wrong about this. Um, I don't think this is an unpopular opinion among Bible scholars. And I've read a lot of scholars who talk about this pretty heavily and they could be wrong, but I am just, you know, I'm just throwing this out there. I think it's likely talking about the cult because I can't imagine what else it would be talking about, you know? For a woman not to teach? Specifically to mention women being safe through childbearing and to not adorn themselves. You don't think that that might be a callback to Genesis 3? I mean, it could be, yeah. I, I mean, think that's, that's, how, that's how I interpret it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I think it could be. Uh, I, I'm going to talk about church tradition because I think church tradition agrees with you. Um, and that led them to believe some kind of wonky things. Um, not that you believe those wonky things. Um, I think for me personally, I'm a little hesitant to, uh, call it back to Genesis. And honestly, even though it calls itself back to Genesis in 13 and 14. Yeah. Okay. And Paul could be doing both. Like it's yeah. very it's very yeah, possible I, I, that he could be referencing Genesis and also addressing the cult of Artemis and prayer of protection. Well, if what you're saying is true, and I don't have a reason to believe it's not, and I don't have a problem saying that it's true, yeah. uh, then he is doing both because he is jumping back to Genesis anyway. Yeah. Because in 13 he says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. I see that as like a, okay, so what's Eve's? Eve was the first who was deceived. She became a transgressor. What is her punishment and what is her hope for salvation? Mm -hmm. Well, her hope for salvation is 315. Like you'll have a son who will destroy evil for good and put it, put transgression to death. Yeah. And so I just like straight up see that as a callback to, Genesis 3.15 is like, oh, how will you be saved for childbearing? Well, you'll be saved because like the son of man comes through the line Yeah, as a child. He amen. has to be born. So I think that that like, it I do not think. back to Jesus. Amen. Praise up. I do not think that that's a, a stretch uh, yeah. to say. Yeah. And I'd be interested to hear what kind of wonky things that other people who believe that believe. Oh, I'll get to them. I have some quotes um, that uh, will hurt you but <laughs> that's fine i don't have to believe what other people believe who that's true believe the same yeah. things yeah yeah, yeah. i'm sure it's, it's important to remember i'm not gonna say that don't say that don't say it don't say it don't say it don't say it. okay i won't you want me uh, to keep going well i just won't like i'll just say that i i'm okay with it being the cult of artemis but i don't see how you can say that when he says I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Mm-hmm. Rather, she is to remain si- remain quiet. Obviously, yeah. I think that the quiet piece has to do specifically with teaching. You know, I was going to um, mention this, and then I completely forgot to mention it, go for it in dude. my preamble. Yeah. Why is this a why is this a debate at all? Like, why are some people convicted of egalitarianism at all, even a little bit? A lot of Bible believing Christians. I have a a list of modern biblical scholars who are egalitarian sure. later on that I'm going to share. But like, why is this a thing? Cause if you're a complementarian, you might not understand like how can anyone possibly even argue for this at all, even a little bit. 
here's the contention here's my contention and here is pretty much every scholar i've ever read they start with this at this point paul in the new testament joe seems to be against women teaching and in positions of authority that seems to be the case the problem is that paul historically also puts women in teaching and authority roles so i was going to do you have the passage for for it there uh, I was going to talk about First Corinthians very briefly because I think this is like the most concise, wacky thing. So I can hit on that very okay. quickly. Um, there's also uh, Romans, which uh, I was going to cl- include in here. And maybe if we do a part two, I can uh, talk about that because I think that's also very important. But First um, Corinthians, because a lot of people will cite First Corinthians 14 where uh, Paul lays out that... Um, women should not prophesy essentially in their churches mm-hmm. uh sorry in first corinthians 11 or yes sorry i'm tripping over myself in first corinthians 14 paul's a talk paul talks about how women should not prophesy that they should remain quiet and um respectful in first corinthians 11 three chapters before that paul gives instruction on how women ought to pray and prophesy in the church and so the contention is because Paul's like, here's how women ought to prophesy. And then three chapters later, he's like, women should not prophesy. So you have two possibilities, dear listener. Either A, Paul is wildly contradicting himself in the span of three chapters. He is full on a huge hypocrite with what he is saying because he wildly contradicts himself. Or we are misunderstanding one or two or all of those chapters right like there has to be some some nuance some misunderstanding that is going on there can i get a nuance counter on the screen nuance counter it's just weird okay um and there are other places that that happens right paul mentions in romans he mentions a lot of women who are in um assumedly these authority positions in the church he mentions junia um which i will not heavily get into junia uh but he mentions uh a woman named junia who he says uh is well renowned among the apostles which there's a lot of different interpretations for that verse i don't have time to get into that maybe in part two but it seems very weird that he would reference this woman who, even if you disagree with the interpretation that she was an apostle, which I personally agree with, um, she was at least like very heavily respected and known among the apostles and also went to jail for ministry, which you only really did if you were publicly preaching and teaching. That was the only reason you would get arrested and go to jail in the way that Paul describes it. So... It seems very weird that he bans women from teaching and from holding these positions of leadership and then also permits women to be leaders and puts women in roles of leadership and also commends them for teaching so well. That's a weird dichotomy that you have to wrestle with. Did that fully... I forget what we were talking about before this whole thing. I wanted to include that at the beginning and then I just forgot. Okay. So... uh. We have to struggle with some of these verses like 1 Timothy 2 
because we have to figure out what Paul, what the heck Paul is trying to say to the church. Like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean women can't teach, right? You put women in teaching roles. What do you mean women can't teach? That's the contention. Do you think that there's a difference between a teaching role inside and outside of the church? Um, not, well, yes and no. I'll say yes and no. In a way, yes. In another way, no. I think I see where you're going with it. And I think I would say no in the way that you probably think. Okay. But I would say yes otherwise. Because I make distinction between teaching in a congregation in the church like yeah. properly, like pastoral, overseer, bishop, bishop, whatever you want to say, standing up and teaching yeah. versus somebody who's not in a formal church setting in the body, in the congregation, teaching. Yeah. I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's okay for a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man in the church setting. Yeah. Which is Which why, is right off the bat, if you're like a staunch, staunch complementarian, you've just pointed the finger at me and screamed that I'm not a complementarian anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. so that you're aware of that. <laughs> uh, but like, I think that there's a distinct difference between teaching inside and mm-hmm. outside of the church and exercising authority over yeah. the church body. I think, um, and I think I'll talk about this in tradition a little bit more. Um, I don't, I think that women did, hold positions of authority over congregations so well um, uh, tradition be damned (laughs) because tradition doesn't hold anything on scripture so you can go to history and you can show me all of the times where a woman maybe did historically hold the position of bishop pastor or overseer Mm -hmm. and i can tell you whether or not that that i think that that was biblically okay or not yeah, because just because it happened doesn't mean that they were perfectly following God's word the way they ought to have been. Yeah, which is true. Yeah. Like I agree with that sentiment a hundred percent. My that, contention, my yeah. problem is, is that I think that because Paul put women in leadership roles, he cannot like. I must if I read this verse to mean that women can't teach when Paul put women in as teachers, I must be misinterpreting this verse somewhere. So I think... Which which verse are you talking about? The uh, first Timothy Timothy 2. Yeah. And I think that um, I... This was part of the notes that I had to cut because I just didn't have time for it. Um, Linguistically, though, it's really interesting. I'll I'll hit on it very (laughs) quick. I didn't have time for this, but yet we're going Um, there anyway. (laughs) uh, Most of the language used in 1 Timothy 2 is uh, singular and not plural. So there are sure. a lot of scholars who think that Paul is specifically talking to a man and a woman in Timothy's church and not specifically the entire congregation. And I don't have time to expand any more upon that. I just think it's uh, interesting. And there are some good scholars doing a lot of work on that. But what, Out of curiosity, what translation are you reading from? Uh, this one, I the one I read, I think was NIV. Oh, you break my heart. Yeah. Do you not like NIV? I do not. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. We should talk about translations we at can, some point. We can definitely talk. I am I love uh, talking about translations because I'm pretty opinionated on them. I'm honestly. also kind of opinionated. I, I'm okay. I'll say this really quick and then we'll move on. Like yeah. I'm okay. Like most modern English translations, I'm okay with saying are good translations, mm-hmm. mostly because they're done by committee and not a single dude somewhere just writing down what he thinks. So you don't means. like the message? 
Uh, the message is fine because yeah. if you do, if if you're in context and you're reading it, it does good things with what it's given, and it's mm-hmm. not trying to claim to be like an authoritative translation. Yeah. It's just trying to. So there's function there, but I will say the NIV is the translation that I often find the most disagreement with when I do like Hebrew studies. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I uh oh oh oh, am I back? There we go. I think my headphones keep cutting out. Maybe it's just me. Um, I think, what was I going to say? Oh, have you I'm ever sorry. read anything else by Eugene Peterson? His books so. are really good. Yeah. I can't, yeah, I can't remember. I'm going to go off on such a rabbit trail. Don't do but, it. Abort. Um, yeah. I read a book by him one time and I was like, because I only knew him as the message guy, and I was like, oh my gosh, this dude's like actually smart and really convicting. No, like I think a, that his translation is good. Yeah. I, I do, yeah, I do. That brought me around to him, and then I started reading the message, and I was like, dude, the message is like, I don't know why people give it so much crap just because well, it's, it's a, a non literal translation. I can tell you why people do because they don't actually understand what a literal translation is. Yeah. Yeah. Which we could talk about sometime. But if we were to read a literal translation of scripture into English, it's unreadable, just yeah. so you know, because it's so wooden and mm-hmm. the grammar works completely differently. So when people say literal translation, it's a complete and total misnomer. Those don't exist. Yeah. We can unpack that in a later <coughs> podcast episode. I, I'm sorry if yeah, I just. That'd be fun to do. Actually, I'm not. I hope I just. <laughs> I hope I just sorry. kicked a sacred cow for you. <laughs> um. So I don't think that. To get back on track, I don't think First Timothy two is barring women specifically from preaching. I think something else is going on here, and I think it lies in the um, when Paul brings up the account of the fall. I think he's trying to do something specific. So um, we can go back there. If yeah, that's do you want to headed? Do you want to talk about Genesis? I do want to talk. I about specifically, Genesis. my focus is on the fall. You can talk about created order if you want. I can give you my reasons for why I'm a complementarian. Yeah. Does that work for you? Sure. Because I, so when we have this conversation, um, most complementarians will go to places like Ephesians 5, mm-hmm. which I think is very misinterpreted. And I can talk what I mean about that. But I'm not a complementarian any, from anything that the New Testament says. And that's mm-hmm. not incredibly hard. A lot, that's, the, that's true for a lot of people, I think. I'm a complementarian because of Genesis. Um, and there's some stuff going on there that we'll get to and talk about. Um, but I do want to say that this first Timothy passage, I do think is very hard to, um, argue from an egalitarian perspective, but I think that's a pretty good argument. Um, but I don't have a problem Mm -hmm. with incorporating that into my compliment. (laughs) I don't have a problem with incorporating contextual arguments into my complementarian view. Oh no, I just gave you more ammo. (laughs) (laughs) Like if that's, if that is the case and that's what's happening, which it makes sense to me because it's like a huge theme throughout the New Testament where Paul is constantly battling outside influence in the church. Like Galatians, mm-hmm. the Judaizers, you get like Gnostics here and there throughout it, right? And um, just the different heresies that sort of pop up that Paul deals with. And he deals with like cult prostitutes and stuff like that. So that's not outside the realm of possibility. What I cannot get around is this passage I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And that is because if you wanted to tell somebody that it wasn't okay for somebody else to teach in no uncertain terms, there are not too many more straightforward ways that you could say it than that. 
Mm-hmm. Do you want to address the... Because that's one of the verses that uses a singular and not a plural. Sure. I find that interesting. I mean, the ESV throws a wacky, like, A, like, I do not permit A women to teach. Yeah. Um, um, so we can, yeah. like, we I, all that to say, like, that's my perspective. We can go mm-hmm. back and forth and do gymnastics with each other all day on it, if yeah. that's what you want. Well, no, but I like, want to talk about... Um, because I think it's interesting that Paul cites the fall here yeah. because he's obviously using it to support his argument. Um, and I think going back to the fall kind of, at least for me, really illumin- illuminates more what he is trying to say. Yeah. Um, Do you want me to, to talk about like before Genesis 3, like creation order? Or do you want to do your fall thing first? Um. Let me let me finish this up because then First Timothy two will be done, and then we can go on to created order sure, if that works for, for you. Um, so what happens during the fall is if you read Genesis carefully, what happens is that Adam is created. Complementarians don't read Genesis carefully. That's no, what no, you no, just no. said. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't mean complementarians. If you if you read the account of the fall, what happens is that Adam is created, right, and then. Adam is given this instruction from God, the famous instruction, right, Joe? That you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Eve is created. And you will notice if you read uh, that God does not re-give the command for Eve. Mm -hmm. So we can probably assume a couple of things here. At least I assume a couple of things here, and I think this is supported by how the story goes. I think what happens is that Adam is the one who relays that command to Eve. I do not think you would find a single reputable Bible scholar who would disagree with you. Yep. What's interesting is then fast forward to the serpent tempting Eve. Eve reads the command, or Eve states the command back to the serpent. Mm -hmm. The serpent's like, why can't you eat of it? And Eve gives the command because on the day I eat of it, we shall surely die, right? Which is really interesting because she misquotes the original she commandment. She actually adds to it. She adds, yeah. Which is really fascinating to me. And then later on, after Eve takes a bite of the apple, and this is what brings the whole theory together, I think, is, and you can um, correct me or add anything you want here because I don't read Uh, Hebrew and you do but as far as I understand it the Hebrew there when Adam eats from the apple is that she turns immediately to her husband which who was with her right it doesn't say that she had to go off or run or find her husband it says she turns to her husband and he ate also which to me implies that Adam was right there standing next to Eve when she was being tempted he was like he was there man And so, one of two things can happen here. You know what's funny? What? You know what Eve's name means? What? Life. Why is that funny? Oh, because she brings death? Because she brought death to Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think uh, I can get it. This isn't really part of the first Timothy 2, but I can get into this later. I think uh, Adam actually brought death on himself. Uh, but Yes. I, um, I'm not saying that he's not responsible for what he does. I'm you have two options it's here, Joe, <laughs> with reading Genesis this way. You can say, oh, Adam. So Adam either 
taught Eve incorrectly. He did not teach Eve correctly the actual command from God. Or he let her, um, or he did teach her correctly and he let her misquote or add to the commandment and did not correct her at all after she incorrectly quoted God yeah. for the command. Um, he also just let his wife take a bite of the apple, which I don't know about you, but if you think, oh, yeah, this apple might possibly, because, you know, a lot of people debate this, but ostensibly they thought that they would like take a bite and die immediately, that that's what happened. They would be like stricken dead. And Adam was just going to sit there and be like, oh, Eve might die when she takes a bite of this. And he just let it happen. He doesn't say anything yeah. in the story. He doesn't do anything to stop her. He doesn't correct her when she says something wrong. And so why does that matter for First Timothy 2? I think Paul is citing this story because from the singular, there is a woman or several women in the church of Ephesus at the time who are teaching things when they don't know anything and they are teaching incorrect corrupt doctrine and they are leading astray people in the church and likewise there are men in the church who know better who were taught possibly timothy who should be correcting these women and they are not mm -hmm. so i'm going to quote uh my friend and scholar uh ryan Litton here because he says talking about this passage why does this matter for paul because history is repeating itself, there are men who have been properly taught and women who haven't been. There are also men who are teaching falsely and women are their primary target because untrained people of any gender make the easiest targets for a deceiver. But the men who have been properly taught are just sitting there, letting it all happen. They don't have a responsibility because of their gender. They have a responsibility because of their training. The women shouldn't teach, but not because of their gender. They shouldn't teach because they've been influenced more by false teachers and Artemis than solid discipleship and Jesus. So until they are properly trained, they need to learn. And I think that's the crux of what first timothy 2 is addressing so i don't think it's prescriptive of how church leadership ought to be i think paul is giving a very specific commandment to a very specific church dealing with a very specific issue and that's why he cites the fall i agree that's my whole that's my whole thing that's how i that's how i as some people would uncharitably put it that's how i explain away that passage <laughs> I don't I, think it's a bar on women being I, pastors. I agree. I agree with your interpretation of Genesis. I don't really necessarily completely agree with uh, your friend Ryan's take You can away. tell him that. I'll get him on the podcast uh, at that's some okay. point. <laughs> we can have people who agree with me on the podcast yeah. too. Uh, but like, I don't... I'll just say it. it is or it isn't. Yeah. Like either he means all women or he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And to me, again, there's not too many other ways that you could say it if you were trying to make it unanimous across the board. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there are little glimpses here and there elsewhere in the New Testament that sort of enforce that Paul means that women should not teach. Um, mm. And I can't, I agree with your interpretation of Genesis. I thought it was really good. I think we had to translate Genesis 1 through 3 in my Hebrew classes. Mm -hmm. my exegesis classes um and it's pretty clear that adam 
is with her the whole time watching her while the serpent is talking to her the serpent gives her uh, a false version of what god says and then she quotes the the command from god but she adds to it Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting what she adds she adds we can't even touch it or Mm -hmm. we'll die which so reeks of like an explanation like with emphasis yeah like if you wanted to explain to your child like not to do something you would say something along those lines of like don't go near if you either this you'll die don't go near it don't touch it don't even think about it. don't even think about it yeah and so what well you naturally if you're explaining it to somebody else and that's how you know it you're going to say something like um there is a little bit of nuance that i want to or color that i want to splash on adam's role in it yeah but specifically with the first timothy passage i agree that i think that is why he is quoting it because he's hearkening it back to a time when a man was misled by a woman because the man was not teaching the way that he ought to have Mm -hmm. pure and simple. Now I see that as you have to go even further back to the created order to explain why it was the man's role to teach that to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I'm good with the Genesis stuff. I thought it was pretty good. I don't think I could have done it much better myself. Thank you. Um, But I disagree with the application. Okay. So you, to, you think it is prescriptive of how a church ought to run. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I do.